Also, Lord, unbelief, which in, in, in lots of ways unbelief is sin. Lord, we ask you to deal with our unbelief. We don't want to be, we don't want to be doubting stuff. We want to be believing stuff. But we want to believe the right thing. Uh, we don't want to just believe anything, God. We want to believe the Word. We want to believe what you said. Hallelujah. Thank you for that. One thing, you know, if you start reading the Bible and really think about it, it says some pretty radical stuff. You know that? It really does. It says stuff that's just not normal. And you start thinking about, why are we doing some of the things we do when you can't even find it in the Bible? I mean, you can't even get a hint of it in the Bible. And a lot of things we want to see happen and desire to happen, we go about trying to do them in a way that's not biblical. Okay? And that's what's really, the Lord's been really just messing with me in the last several months, is getting back to the Bible. What does the Bible say about this? God's got something to say. And um, I want to read these two scriptures in Ephesians 42 verses. Um, verse 15. I'm just sort of jumping in there in the middle of one of Paul's great messages. But it says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head Christ. That we, basically, that we may grow up into all things into Him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body. Everybody say growth of the body. For the edifying of itself in love. Well, um, every, if you're in the ministry, everybody's interested in church growth. Okay? There's books written on church growth. There's all these things out there. But actually, this is what the Bible talks about church growth. Right here. This is a scripture on church growth. Okay? And when I think about church growth, I know it's talking about a lot of people. I'm talking about individual growth. People. People growth. The people growing spiritually. And people getting saved. Okay? And God adding to the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not one church. The body of Christ is a lot of churches all over the world. So we're part of a big deal. We're part of a big deal. We're part of something greater than ourselves. And that makes me feel good. Because if it was just us in here, I'd be feeling sort of bad about it. I might have been struggling on the day, you know, on the day of Pentecost when there's only 120 people there. I've been thinking, man, this don't seem good. You know, there's only 120 people in the whole world that's got in, bought into this character. He's dead and he's gone and he's, you know, he said all this stuff. He got all these devils all stirred up and then now he's took off. You know, <laughs> that's the way I'd have been feeling. I mean, what Jesus is this? I mean, you've gotten these devils mad. You've gotten these old Pharisees all mad. Everybody's wanting to kill me and, you know, betray me. Now you've gone and here I am. You know, what is the deal, God? I'd have, that's the way I'd have been thinking. I don't know about you. I bet some of them were thinking that. They should have been if they weren't. And if they had a half a brain in their, in their head, they'd have been thinking that kind of stuff. Because that was right before the Holy Spirit came, and that sort of settled that deal. You see what I'm saying? We need to be thinking like that. We need to be thinking, Lord, if you're doing something, we need to... There's an answer to it. But um, let me just... I just want to give you a couple of def definitions. Uh, the one is... Uh, it says, um, Joined. That means to join closely together, closely together, to frame together. Okay, that's what that means. Come here, Becky. Since you're my wife, I can do this. Okay, I'm going to join closely together with Becky. See, let me get close to her. That's what the Bible's talking about, getting close to people. 
Are you on the outside looking in this morning in the body of Christ? Jesus says, that ain't the way I designed the body of Christ to be. There ain't no outside looking in thing. I want you to be close to each other. We can be close to each other. Jesus designed the church like that. Also, then he says, knit, joined and knit together. If I can find that. Okay, yeah, joined and knit together. All right, this is what knit, one of the definitions of knit. These are all, you know, theologically sound uh, uh, definitions I'm getting you that you can get if you want to buy this computer software. I'll even sell you my copy that has Strong's and all these Greek dictionaries and all this, you know, high-level stuff that somebody else has done all the work, some, you know, theological sound person. (laughs) Not that we're not theological sound, but you know what I'm saying. I'm no Greek scholar. But knit means this. This is one of the definitions, several of the definitions. Knit means to cause a person to unite with one in a conclusion or to come to the same opinion. Okay? So there is this uniting. There's this getting close to each other. But also there's this uniting. There's this unity. There's this harmony that God wants to produce in the church. He's looking for that. He's looking for some harmony in the church. Can you believe that he would actually think that we could do that? (laughs) It's a great idea because there's so much disunity in the church. There's so much non-harmonious. It would be like me. Who sings harmony in here? Raise your hand. It would be like me getting up there with Donna, and I'm going to sing harmony with you, Donna. (laughs) Donna would slap me off the stage, or y'all would come out here and forcibly take me out. I can't do it. Okay? But there's so much disharmony in in the church today. There's so much dissension and division in the church today. Now, turn over to Psalm 133. Hold this thought. Hold your spot there and turn to Psalm 133. Everybody with me? Is anybody with me? All right. Psalm 133. Let's read that. It says, verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together... Dwell means, you know, we're going to, if I'm living with somebody, I don't have to be getting close to them. They're going to be seeing the, the up and the down on me. How good it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, in harmonious relationship. And this is what he says. This is what uh, the psalmist is saying. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there, this is powerful, for there the Lord commanded the blessing. There He commanded the blessing. Life evermore. So what I want to say to you this morning, do you want a church that has life? Do you want a church where God's moving? Well, I would like to propose that that God doesn't like division. Okay? He does not like disunity. He likes people to come to some conclusions on some things and come to some same opinions on things. That's what God likes to do. Now, I have debated this thought in my mind about unity. Okay? Where does unity come from? Do you get unity? Do you have unity and then God moves? Or does God move and you get unity? You see what I'm saying? 
It's like the old chicken and egg thing, which comes first. Well, that's sort of the conclusion I came, same thing with the chicken and egg. It's, I don't know, Lord. I don't know. But let me just read this scripture here. Don't turn there. It's in Acts 2. And this is... This is right before the day of Pentecost came. This is right at it. says, Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Are you with me? They were one accord in one place, and God suddenly moved. Now that really speaks to me. He suddenly moved. People were there together. They were not, there was not divisions with them. There was not strife with them. They were whittled down to 120. The divisions and the strife had fallen off. You know, they were down pretty desperate state. Here's another one in Acts 2, 45, 46. So continuing day with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor for all people. And listen to this. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to the church those who were being saved because there was a people who were in a one accord. There was a people that there was some harmony with, there was some unity with, and people were getting saved. I mean, it makes a great argument for evangelism. For, for that reason only, what I'm telling you this morning should really speak to our hearts about being living together closely and being in harmonious relationships with each other. Because it'll cause people to get saved, according to that scripture there. Here's another one. Wow, this is a great one for those who are not getting excited about people getting saved, but get excited about miracles and get excited about the power of God. Anybody get excited about that? I do. Listen, this is Acts 5:12. And through the hands of the apostle, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. That's, that's the Bible. Actually, Jesus prayed this. He prayed for us in John 17, we're, that they would, we'd have unity with one another, that we would be one with one another. That's Jesus' praying that. I mean, think about it. If Jesus prayed that, it's probably kind of important, don't you think? Don't you think it's kind of important? Oh, Jesus is praying that we might be one, we might have unity, we might be in harmony with one another. Uh, we might want to think about that one a minute. Wouldn't you think about that? But look over in, in back in Ephesians... This is, this is what I was trying to tell you in, in verse 11. This is a famous verse, Ephesians 4, verse 11. Are you all with me or are you all just thinking, man, what is wrong with this man? <laughs> it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipment of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's a famous thing. Everybody preaches on that at time, from time to time. Then it says, Till we all come to the unity of faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, that's you know, you know, basically what it's saying is, is we need help to get there. We need God to do something. We need people to equip us and help us come into that unity. Uh, and that those the fivefold ministry will basically exist until there's real unity in the church. So I'm not asking, looking for some utopia situation this morning. But what I do want to uh, apply it to us now. I've given you sort of what I'm, where I want to get you to thinking about unity and harmony. Okay? Everybody's thinking that now, okay? Or, or are you? Or you're daydreaming. Are you with me? Now uh, I've asked the Lord, Lord, how do we do this? How do we find unity in a church? How do we find harmonious relationships with people? Because I don't want to do it for the sake of unity. I don't care just for the sake of unity. I want it because I want God to come to this church. Yeah. 
That's what I want more than anything else in my life. Because I don't want to be in a church that God's not there. And I want Him to come more. And I want there to be more life. And I want there to be more people saved. And I want there to be more miracles and more things and more stuff of God here. Don't you want that? Well, that's what I'm trying to say to you this morning. That's the whole thing is because I believe it's the place of commanded blessing. It's where brethren dwell together in unity. It's commanded by God. Meaning, if God commanded it, then ain't nobody going to be able to fight God over that deal. He'd slap the, you know, the devil down and step on him over that. Because this is, this is important. Instead of trying to get unity, I want to give you, I'm going to propose something to you this morning. Uh, turn over to Acts 120. Um, and this is to, for you to really ask the Lord to speak to you. Um, see, I believe that every Christian, in every church, in every nation, all over the world has a place. You know, because we are described as the body of Christ. And you know what? Jim Hill may be a foot. Or he may be a toe on a foot. But he's a, that's what he is. He has a place in the body. And, you know, Becky may be a voice. You know, mouth or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Somebody else may be a ear. You know, that's one of the ways God describes it. But look at this real interesting scripture talking about Judas. Okay, this is what they were they were dealing with, replacing Judas, who had betrayed the Lord. And let me just say this. Well, sometimes a good way of reading the Bible is to put yourself into the Bible. And I was trying to put myself into this situation recently to get a sense of what... Peter, James, John, Matthew, all the other ones were feeling at that moment when they were discussing this. Can you imagine how they felt? Here's a man that they had spent the last three and a half years with, Judas. He was one of their brothers. Okay? Suddenly, he goes off the wall, betrays the Lord. Jesus gets crucified. They go through all that, you know, agony. Judas winds up killing himself over it. Put yourself into that situation. Can you imagine the agony it would produce in your life? Can you imagine it? See, we read the Bible and we don't, we don't feel the emotion of the people. We don't feel what they were going through. And then when we get in a situation, somebody close to us does something off the wall or somebody close to us dies, and we just, you know, oh, why did God let this happen? That's <laughs> the way we feel. But it happened to them. I guess that's the point I'm saying. They experienced it. They went through stuff like we go through. They felt the pain of this. I promise you, they weren't rejoicing about, well, we finally got rid of that lazy thing. <laughs> that no good Jews. I'm glad he hung himself. He made us look great when he hung himself. Imagine how bad he made us look. Oh, brother, we had this man in the church and he fell away from the Lord. Now he's out in the streets doing stuff. And boy, ain't he making us look good. Now he's killed himself. You know? And we look like a bunch of fools over it. I mean, I promise you, thoughts were running racing through their minds. And I just want to encourage you. The stuff you're going through, it is stuff that they went through. But the difference between they and us is they overcame it. They came out on top because they did one thing. They believed the Word of God. 
they lived it. They kept going. They didn't quit. They didn't stop. They didn't backslide. They didn't act like, you know, they just didn't throw the promises of God out the window just because at that moment they were in, in great suffering and great pain. But, so that was sort of a sideline. This is what they said. It says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Well, there's two things there. There's his dwelling place and there's, there's his office that he held as an apostle. Okay? We're not talking about your office this morning, but we are talking about your dwelling place. Your place. Everybody say, my place. My place. Jim's place no longer is to be an associate pastor in this church. Jim's place is to be a mission missionary slash missions organization. I don't know how you describe that place, but that's, that's his place in the body of Christ now. It's to go on mission trips, to equip other up-and-coming missionaries to help people in other countries. That's his place. Everybody in this room has a place. Every person has a place. And I would like to ask you, I believe one of the keys to finding unity in the body of Christ is to find your place. Okay? I believe if you will find your place, it will release other people. You see, here's the problem. I'm just going to wear Jim out. <laughs> here's the problem. God's saying, all right, Jim, time, time to go do this, go full-time missions. No, I'm not going to do it, Lord. Okay. Uh, i got to tell three or four people down the line here that's supposed to be moving in different places they can't move in their place because you won't move in your place. It's causing disturbance in the spirit realm. Okay? Uh, and the Lord, you know how the Lord will do. He'll, he'll, he'll uh, send the hounds of heaven. and You know what I'm saying? You getting what I'm saying? All right, now, let me just re- turn over and let's read uh, 2 Samuel 23. Are, are y'all with me on this? Because I believe what God wants to do. It said... The body grows because, and, and he used a different word in Ephesians 4, I read to you earlier, because every part did what? Every part does its share. Is that what it said? Did we read that a while ago? Every part does its share. That's what it said. That's what causes the body of Christ to grow. That's what causes other Christians to grow. That's what causes people to fall in love with the Lord. That's what causes people to get saved. That's what causes the, Trump, the church to be triumphant. Because every part, every person does his share. Every person finds his place in the body of Christ and begins to do what he's supposed to do there. Are you with me? Now that's really the Word of God. That's what God is looking for in a church. He's not looking for some stalemate, stagnant mess where everybody grabs a hold of something and we're going to plant our hides and bore down in the ground and everything's going to stay this way forever. That's crazy. I mean, I can show you pictures of me ten years ago, and I had a lot more hair than I got now. I changed. You know? we got to change. we got to quit doing it the way the world does. we got to find our place in the body of Christ. Because I want miracles. You want miracles. You want people to get saved. And that's what's going to release it. It's finding your part. Finding your place so you can do your part. And that is going to release something. That's going to release God. Because, you know, let me...
can we just go back to that Ephesians one second? Let me just tell you about a word in there that I should have told you when you was there, and you know I'm gotten to be inefficient right here. Okay. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. I wanted to wanted to tell you this word here in Ephesians four sixteen. Effective working. It says, From whom the whole body join and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does as its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying itself in love. Well, that thing, effective working, uh, mean, you know, it's like a efficient working. In the New Testament, is used only of superhuman power, whether of God or of the devil. Effective working. In other words, whenever part begins to function, whenever part begins to do its share, something superhuman happens. Something super, that's what it says. Something superhuman is going to happen. God is going to do something. God is going to intervene. He's going to do His part. But you've got to find your place. You've got to find your ground. And you've got to start doing what God's called you to do. And when you do that, God does what He does. He provides superhuman effort. And He causes things to happen that we cannot cause to happen otherwise. Are you with me? Now, back to 2 Samuel. I want, this, is, this is powerful, 2 Samuel. It's the story of David's mighty men. And, you know, it's the three, the, you know it goes through and talks about... You should read this. This, this is one of these scriptures that God spoke to me about ten years ago one time, and it just blasted my heart. And it's one of those times, you know, when God speaks something to you that it completely disarms you and disables you. And you had those things, when, and, you know, it was just a real word from God. I read this thing, and it just, it just ripped me apart on the inside. And I have, you know, thought about these Scriptures and read from them and tried to teach from them for years, but it really spoke to me, the whole thing. But I just wanted to read about one of the mighty men. And it, you know, because they were listening to what these mighty men did. Hey, one of them killed one. One guy killed eight hundred people. One man killed eight hundred people. That's, I wouldn't want to mess with that guy. You know, I'd be scared of him. At one time, yeah, it wasn't over. You know, over a lifetime. This was in one fight. Can you imagine getting in a fight with a guy that killed eight hundred people? One, you know, he just wipe you out. You could see, you could surround him. He just, can you imagine what he was like? I mean, incredible. Well, that ain't the one I want to talk about. I want to talk about the next one. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm totally infatuated with these guys. These were David's mighty men. And it says, after him, in verse 11, 2 Samuel 23, was Shema. I don't know if that's the way you, or Sham Ma. Shema. Sound like somebody's name in here. After him was Shema, the son of Agi, not Ugri, Agi, the Hararite, Har- Hararite, whatever. Anyway, he was a good old Hebrew boy. The Philistines had gathered together in a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. Everybody know what lentils are? Beans, right? So there are these Philistines up here on this ground. It says, so the people fled from the Philistines. The people fled. How many in this room flee, have fled? When it got tough, I'm out of here. I can't take it. It's hard. That's what those guys were doing. Except for this old boy, Shammah. It says, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field. 
You say, that's powerful to me. He stationed himself there and defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. That was a bean field. That's all that was. It's a bean field. But he stationed himself there. And I think really what God is looking for is for people who will station themselves in their place. This is my place. You know, and sometimes it's going to get hard. But what I have felt in the church and Christians over the years is people don't station themselves like that. And God doesn't get a great victory because people flee. People get scared. People lose their faith, whatever, and they run. And God's looking for some people who will say, this may not be nothing but old bean field, but it's God's bean field. And God's told me, this is my bean field. And the devil's trying to get this bean field, and I'm not going to let him have it. I'm going to station myself here, and I'm going to fight for it. And if I go down fighting, well, I just went down fighting for what I really believe that God had for me and that God had for His kingdom. And I think a lot of times what we're trying to do in the kingdom of God by not finding our place is we never, ever, 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 ever become a part of something. We never do our part. We never cause the body of Christ to become what it is because we've not done what this man has done. That man found his place. And he didn't give it up. But you know what the Scripture also teaches us? And you, these mighty men were the people, after David became the king, and all of a sudden David was popular of everybody. At that time he was unpopular. These mighty men became the top people in David's kingdom. In other words, I can just see this guy getting up in the morning after David became king, walking out in his back porch, there is this little strip of ground where there was beans planted, but he looks across and there's thousands of acres of beans. And here is the minister of agriculture for all of Israel. Of all of Israel. Because a man took a stand in a lousy bean field when everybody else ran. And he took a stand. And God is saying, I'm a David. I'm the David. And i got places in my kingdom for everybody. But nobody wants to stand there when it's a now not such popular place and everybody else is running away from their calling, running away from what God has. And God is saying, I want somebody who will plant their hide there. Plant your hide there in your place and stay there. That's what we've got to do. And this is what, this is what the Scripture says in Psalm 18, verse 19. He has brought me into a broad place. He has brought me into a broad place. He delivered me because He delighted in me. You see, it may not start out broad. In fact, if it's God, it's probably not going to start out broad. It's probably just going to be some lousy hill of beans. <laughs> that don't look so good, God. And you want me to stand here? This is my place. This is my inheritance. Beans. Just Beans. A hill of beans. That's all I've got. That's my great inheritance, God. You know, and the Lord said, yeah, that's it. But He also said, I'm going to bring you into a broad place, but I'll be doggone if you're going to get that broad place if you can't stand in that narrow place. Now, that's the truth. And the body of Christ is not going to see the miracles unless somehow we can get into this place of unity more than likely. I'm careful about this unity stuff. 
But I believe the, fi- the way to get unity is to find your place and do your part. I believe if we could start doing that, because I can't create unity, and I'm not going to have some false unity, but I believe a splintered body, a house divided against itself can't stand. And I think God's charge to us is find your place, okay? Find your part and start doing it. Find it. Get in your feelings and become a mighty man. Amen? Let me give you a classic example. There's an earth, there's a sun, there's a moon. Okay? Earth, sun, moon. We're like the moon. Okay? That's what we are. We're like the moon. The earth is the world. The sun, S-U-N, is like the Son of God. Every once in a while in our life, there's this thing that happens called a lunar eclipse. You know what the lunar eclipse is? You see, the, sun, the moon doesn't have any light on its own. It gets all its light from the sun. That's why, you know, it's, the moon's not like a little sun for those who don't who flunk science. <laughs> it absorbs this light from the sun and reflects it back to the earth. That's why when you go out at night, you see this big light up there in the sky. Well, it's not got no light on its own. It's, you know, they've shown that on TV, and it's just gray powder. Ain't got anything. Nobody's gone to the sun and came back. <laughs> so you see what happens is... If you get this thing called a lunar eclipse, you know what a lunar eclipse is? The earth gets between the moon and the sun. And that's what's happening in some of your lives. The world has gotten between you and God. You hear me? And the light of God is cut off from you. And now you're dark. You should be light, but you've allowed the world to get between you and God. That ain't your place. Or, all of us have done this, too. There's this other thing called the solar eclipse. You know what the solar eclipse is? It's when the moon gets between the earth and the sun. You got that? That means, oh man, look at me! I'm blocking Jesus out. I want the attention on me. That's the solar eclipse. And oh, I think some of us have been in full-blown solar eclipse from time to time. I know I, know I have. But I don't think the Lord likes that. <laughs> Full-blown solar eclipse. Ask yourself a question this morning. Are you in lunar eclipse or are you in solar eclipse? That's one of the questions. Let me give you one more lesson from the planets, and then we're going to be dismissed. 